What's going on, everybody? This is Mike Norris. I'm here today with Ryan Staley. What's going on, Ryan? Hello. Happy to be here, man. I love your your background. So much more eloquent than mine. Mine looks like a <laughs> like an alien planet, but um, it's uh, I'm liking it, man. I uh, I had a guy on here a couple of weeks ago who really showed me up on the background. So it's nice for me to be on the other side of the coin. <laughs> what did he have? What was the deal, man? What was the background? It was uh well. It was Dre DeVera. He's a YouTube video expert. He actually started doing it maybe like four months ago or something. And he's already got a huge audience. And I think part of it is because he has an amazing background. But he offline, he was telling me a little bit about uh, some of the lights he uses. He bought them on Amazon and stuff. And he's got like red coming this way, blue coming this way, and very crystal clear 4K picture. And I was like, man, I got to step my game up. <laughs> That's good, man. Yeah. Well, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about you just so that we can get a little bit of background here. And then uh, I think we'll dive into some, some really good sales techniques today. Yeah, sure, man. And, and appreciate coming on. So just to give you kind of a background on me, I've been in the sales world, sales career, I should say, on the corporate side for about 22 years. Last nine years, we're in sales leadership. Uh, first started off where I, I helped solidify an office, get that in shape. And then like the last six or seven years, that nine years, was really designed around like creating an enterprise team from scratch. Because every company's like, hey Ryan, or they don't even say to hey Ryan, but they're like, hey, we wanna go up market. We're just gonna start selling to bigger companies. And like, that's kind of their approach. And so it was really awesome at the time because that's what happened to me. They're like, hey Ryan, we wanna go up market, go, go figure out the enterprise team. So I had no staff, no lead gen, no marketing support. It was in a declining market, no playbooks or anything. So I created that from scratch and basically took that and um, throughout that process, only had about three, maybe four reps max focused on it. We went from zero to 30 million in annual recurring revenue um, just by landing really, really big customers, like net new big customers. So we're talking like Amazon Whole Foods, uh, a company named like True Blue, Bed Bath & Beyond, you know, well-known brands that you've seen in the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 or, or big public companies. Um, and then most recently, just about six months ago, um, I left because I wanted to do my own thing and really look at how I could better support entrepreneurs. And I also, I also coach revenue leaders and sales executives around helping them basically exponentially increase revenue for their business or exponentially increase their income if you're talking about it on the employee side. So that's kind of like my core focus right now. And I guess my whole why, like if you're looking at that, because everybody always wants to know what's your why, man, why are you doing this? Is basically I got to the point where like, all my relationships started melting down. Um, I was like an asshole to be around, which I don't know. If right. I was kind of like, just give me a little E next to the episode, the explicit. Um, because of the fact like I was working so many hours and just grinding, grinding, grinding. And like what I found out um, after once I figured things is like, there's got to be a better way, you know, because it, it all came to head when. I came home from work one day and, you know, I was excited to see my daughter who was like two years old at the time, went to give her a hug. And then she like, wouldn't give me a hug. Oh man. Yeah. It was like gut wrenching. She wouldn't even come by me. And the reason why that was because I was never around when she was awake. I was at freaking work all the time. This is, this is not like the work from home stuff, right. That we're dealing with now. So anyways, that's my big why. So that I could help people not be like a slave to revenue or a prisoner to revenue, if you will. And really, basically repackage everything I learned the hard way and give it to people in an easy way so they can grow their business and grow their income. That's phenomenal. And I, I love that. Why? And 
I feel like I should ask more people that as we kick things off. I like that. That was a good intro. Thanks, man. Um, let's get into it a little bit, though. I mean, how did you, so you were told, what was step one for you when you were told, okay, hey, we want to go enterprise, you have nothing, what, what did you do? Yeah, man. So it's kind of funny because it was in that phase, like I was telling you, that point about my daughter happened. And like I said, I was kind of a jerk to be around, right? I wasn't like the funnest guy. And so I was getting results in my position, but my team wasn't a big fan of me. So like, all right, Ryan, we're going to move you over here. You're going to start all this and build this up. So at the time it wasn't viewed as like, I mean, it was, it was semi-promotion, semi, it was weird, dude. It was just a weird freaking thing. So um, basically what I started off with is like trying to find people. And it was like one of those things where I didn't have a big budget to hire, like, you know, <laughs> I didn't have a big budget to hire a lot of people. So it, I went through this process and I go through this with my private clients. I'll, I'll share it with you. Um, but it, it basically transformed everything, but I did it as a rep. And so it stuck in my head for when I was building out a team from scratch. And basically I evaluated all the top customers that the company had over the past two years and basically just did a teardown and looked at all the like, all the reasons why we got it, you know, mm. not, not just demographics, not like ideal customer profile. I mm. call it like perfect customer profile. And it was really cool because I discovered some patterns in there um, across like psychographics, demographics, and then situational areas on why we won really big customers. The other thing that was really unique that happened is I basically, sorry, that's my daughter yelling in the background. Um, the other, the other cool thing that, that happened as a byproduct of that is I saw that there were deals where the sales cycle would be nine months and it would be consistent for our big deals. That was the average sales cycle, like nine and a half months. Right. But there were certain verticals and certain sub niches in those verticals where the deal size would be 10 X as the rest of the deals. So we all, we like laser focused on that and built out our entire present in those verticals with those people specifically that, that bought. And it, it really just escalated things exponentially with a really small team. I love that. And I think that's a great place to start is getting a little introspective. Where are people actually coming from versus what we think and, or what do people actually want versus what we think they want? And then how can we prioritize the, the big winners essentially? Yeah. And I think that's phenomenal. And, and, what did you, what did you then do with that information once you got it? Yeah. So then that's when we started to like attack. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we went after like, uh, have you heard of Chet Holmes dream 100 strategy? No. Did you ever hear that? It's so funny, man. That book was from like the early, or I think late eighties, like early nineties. So there's a guy named Chet Holmes and basically Chet Holmes, uh, was hired by Charlie Munger for one of Warren Buffett's companies. Okay. And what he did is he grew that company. Um, he basically doubled in revenue three years in a row. He might even tripled in revenue. It was just like ridiculous what he did. And essentially he, he did the same principles of what I was talking about. And so now that we had that data, we knew who the, the sub niches were in the vertical or niche as some people say, um, whatever way you want to do it. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Like niche. Um, so anyway, so we did that, man. And, then we, we just got like laser deep in those verticals across like the functional, the exact companies we called in. We got into associations. We got into like CIO, like specific groups and sponsored them and had like pig headed discipline in terms of going after them and then starting to 
leverage like referral systems and things like that once we got cooking to like really take things to the next level. Sure. So, so would you say the referrals were a big part of that? Getting introductions to people at some of those big companies you mentioned? Yeah, yeah. I, I, it was definitely a, a big part of it. And it's funny because like I see that now is, um, you know, I was sitting in a room full of, there was 5,000 entre entrepreneurs. And uh, the question was asked, like, how many people in this room, raise your hand, have one referral system in place? And out of those 5,000, it was maybe like 7%. And then they asked the question, how many people have two? And it was like less than 4%, maybe 3% of people had their hands raised. So it just shows that like so many times people are looking externally for customers outside their base that they take months, sometimes years to develop and cultivate, but they don't have a crystal clear system on how to upsell and get referrals from them. So what we did, we did it kind of both ways. And this would be cool if anybody's trying to attack it, but um, something really cool, really great strategy that's simple, but highly effective is a lot of times these guys are, or gals are, you know, they're, they're C-level executives, but they like networking with their peers and their specific functional trade groups that they're a part of or associations. Well, the real cool thing is if you find out and get to the people at the board level of those trade group and associations, there's so many doors they open up to you as long as you're trying to serve their community. And oh. so we, we took that mindset, man. And like, um, let me tell you a story really quick. So it's funny, we're at a meeting with AT&T and it was a really big opportunity. And, you know, sometimes with the really big companies, they're so big, they, they don't know what they don't know about like agreements they signed and whatnot, right? So we finally got all the people in the room. We're, we're heading in the right direction. They're like, oh, well, we, we just signed an agreement two months ago on this. We can't do this, right? So our contact felt all bad and he was pretty senior level. He wasn't like C-level C or anything like that, but pretty senior level. So I asked him, I'm like, hey man, is there any groups or associations that like you really love that you're a part of that where you connect with other peers? So basically come to find out that was a lost deal, lost opportunity. That was the deal we had to like hop on a flight to do and, you know, drive um, an hour and a half. He was one of those situations. Right. So anyways, we did that. And basically he's like, well, I'm actually on the board of this group that puts on the small conference for 200 people. That's really not, a, you know, it's not, a lot of people don't know about it. Would you guys be interested in sponsoring? So we did that for the first year and then we sponsored it. And that wasn't like a ridiculous amount. And we're like, hey, can you help introduce us to people and other things? So we went to the event and that ended up being the biggest customer by like 5X that we ever got. We met at that event and got a $20 million deal and that was from Whole Foods and Amazon. Oh, hell yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you think that the sponsorship played a part in that or was it more the, the networking and going there? Because we're always, we always debate that. You know, it, it's hard to tell in the, the age of attribution that we're in it's difficult to tell if things like sponsorships at, at events really help you sometimes. Yeah. And what I would, and I, I really want to like make sure that this is crystal clear, but we are talking, I'm not talking about like a trade show booth where you just go sit there and hang out. Right. These are like targeted niche to like your exact buyers and the exact verticals and sub verticals you want. Right. So um, I would say it's a combination of both. Like, you could sponsor the event, but a lot of people just sponsor events. And I know it's different now, but there's still opportunities out there because these companies are doing it virtually. It's almost kind of like the sub communities. Like we were talking about, 
you know, Rev Genius and Rev Collective, just like that, there are, you know, sub, sub communities or micro communities for people that you're trying to sell to outside of those areas that you could target. And so if you sponsor them, a lot of times there's good opportunities as long as you take advantage of them. Got it. Okay. A lot of people just go and show up, but they don't really orchestrate everything else around it, which is where you really get the juice and connect people and, and meet people. So. so joining maybe online communities, sponsoring those, really being an active part of them, demonstrating value, giving value, that's what you would recommend? Yeah, I mean, what I would say right now is like, just being, first of all, really crystal, crystal clear on who that, those perfect customers are. That's like step one. And then step two is like, what you'll find is within your existing customer base, there's probably a lot of people that can refer you into there as long as you build it into a repeatable system. So, um, and, but going back to where kind of got sidetracked on the whole community thing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a good way to do it is like, look at that, target that, be involved. As long as you're intentional about being in the right one, you could really make the juice worth the squeeze. All right. So, so let's, you've, you've gotten in the door, right? You, you right. got in the door with Amazon Whole Foods. What next? What, what is your pitch? How do you, how do you land a client like that? Yeah. So what I would tell you is the number one thing is, is making sure that um, you could say the perfect thing to the wrong person and it doesn't matter. You know, you say all the right things. And so with those companies, the number one thing is truly understanding and getting these two questions answered. Like at the, the beginning of any sales cycle, selling to a big company, even mid-sized company is one, who owns the budget now? And then the other is who's going to own the budget after we implement. Hmm. And it's really critical to know the answers to those two, because we worked a deal where it was about a, like an $18 million opportunity. And um, there's 32 different vendors in, it was a highly competitive RFP situation. It took about two years. I mean, it was a long sales cycle, like that's really 30, 40 people involved. And we knew the answer to the first question, but we didn't know the answer to the second question. And so what happened is we were one of the final two people and we actually finished in second place, which is like the first loser, loser. Um, yeah. which hurts because you spend so much time. And so like when you're targeting these big accounts, like that's, we didn't have that second question answered. And so what happened is somebody at the end of the process, that other vendor had a really tight relationship with the new budget owner. And we didn't even know that person existed. So it was an eye opener. And I mean, we ended up getting, like $75 million worth of contracts after that. So that was like our big, like hard learning lesson, if you will. Um, but from there, it, it basically also cut sales cycles in half because we weren't chasing our tail talking to the wrong people that didn't have complete and full ownership of it. Well, that's, I mean, it's a good lesson and obviously a costly one and I'm sure yeah. infuriating. Oh, that was great. I'm happy we learned it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, I think that's kind of the thing with RFPs is obviously these big companies do them, they do their due diligence, but the opportunity cost, if, if you don't come out on top, is a ton of waste of time and efforts, and it can be disheartening, I think, but as long as you're getting a lesson out of it and it looks like you did, I, I think it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. It was, and like RFPs, like the number one thing you should try and do is qualify yourself out to them when you're looking at opportunities is what I would say. Yeah. Uh, especially if you don't write co-author them with the customer because that's the key to making it work for you. 
Yeah, I I was uh, I did a training a while back. We're a, we're a premier Google partner, and they uh, they do this thing Google Elevator Leadership Training, and uh, it was really beneficial. But one of the things that they talked about in there was RFPs and identifying at the beginning if there's already an existing vendor, or if that you know there's a connection somewhere along the line, similar to what what you've talked about a little bit. You you just want to identify if. You know, someone's got a relationship somewhere you don't know about, and especially if you're coming in just totally objectively blank slate. Here's our solution. Here's how we can benefit you. But, you know, Frank lives down the street from Johnny, the guy who's making the decision. You don't know about it. He's got him over for pizza and it's already, it's already done. Well, yeah, I mean, that actually happened. And I'm not going to say the name of the company, but it was a Fortune 500 company. It was really big agreement and they were pushing us and one of the questions that came out just for understanding is the ceo's son was their current vendor oh. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like no it's it's uh, totally unbiased like you, we, we want you guys to look at this and and, and take a look at this we're like dude the ceo's son is the vendor like you guys not, we're not going to waste our time doing that like okay we understand you know so, anyways it was funny so when you're, when you're doing all this enterprise sales stuff and you're, you're going from scratch and obviously you're identifying current opportunities, you're, you're going after these, these big fish, what, um, what kept you going all those years in, in that role? Uh, I mean, how do, you, how do you day after day continue to bust ass uh, when obviously those opportunities don't, don't come every day right like you you might be working hard in some of these communities and it was there ever times that you got disheartened and you're like man i don't know if this is the right course of action or anything like that oh totally <laughs> yeah, <that's> yeah. <laughs> yeah there's times where you gotta where it sucks i mean like and it's 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 and i'm sure you can relate to this is it's like you know being an entrepreneur it's like that in training because like you have to look at like the milestone wins before you get like the big enchilada at the end, right? You have to appreciate like, oh, we got all the right people in the room, like, and you have to just celebrate those along the way. Otherwise you'll get totally disheartened because like it's a long journey, you know? And then what happens is you build up a tolerance for that, right? And you, you really start to look at it. But then like, I mean, the beautiful thing about having a small team was that I was directly involved in all those opportunities so like I could see patterns left and right happening before anybody else knew it because I had like 10 times as many deal cycles that I've been through and I saw what, what worked, what didn't work, how people responded. So it's like, you truly know the answers to all the questions before they're even asked. So. Yeah. And, and having that team of three, I mean, are there, were there specific things you looked for when you were crafting that team? Well, it's funny. So like beggars can't be choosers, right? And there, there were specific things that I looked for. And as you can imagine, you have to have a massive amount of grit to be able to sustain that over a longer period of time, oh, yeah. you know, with, with that. Um, and my team was great. So I, when I said beggars can't be choosers, I don't mean like that in a negative way. I mean, I didn't have like an exponential budget that I could just throw money at people that were highly seasoned. So it's actually pretty pretty interesting is that when you look at it from a personality types, are you familiar with like the disc profile? Like, yeah, to an extent. I'm not going to say I'm an expert, but yeah. Okay. So long story short, there is just basically four quadrants. Two are extrovert orientated, two are introvert orientated. 
One's like highly detailed and analytical. And then the extroverts, you know, they're more high level executive summary type people. I mean, I'm massively simplifying it, but they were all over this, the area um, of that. You know, one was like a D, one was an I, one was a C, one was, and then I had another one was an S. So basically all four quadrants, right? Well, the awesome thing is all of them were able to find a way to be successful. And the only way that that happened was because like, when I was supporting them, I always looked at like certain ones had very big inherent strengths and very big inherent weaknesses. And I just had to like kind of constantly toggle myself to really support them in a big way. Um, but what I would say overall is that, yeah, like they wanted to truly, truly like make big things happen. That was, that was critical. Um, you know, I looked at what they valued and then the grit and the hard work, like you have to have those sure. you're building from scratch. So when you're, when you're assessing their strengths and weaknesses, are you attempting to capitalize on their strengths or are you attempting to mitigate their weaknesses or, or both? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, totally. What I would say is you got to look more towards the strengths okay. and, and like leverage that, but then complement them where they're weak. Like, and I'll give you a specific example. So like there's a, and there's one woman who was like really good at building relationships was just awesome. Like amazing could connect with people at a high level, get in, understand what they truly want and are passionate about. But then that same person was highly unorganized, would show up to meetings, you know, a couple minutes late was be like a train wreck. Right. I think then, I know. <laughs> what's that? I think I know her. <laughs> and then and then then there's another one who was like highly organized very detail oriented very methodical and following up but like she had a hard time initially asking the hard questions to customers or pushing deals forward so it's like like just being able to spot that and just really supplement what they need like accelerate what they need and then supplement what what they struggle with you know and they all were successful and, and they did an awesome job and there's no way i could have done it if you know, you don't, you don't have good people. It's, it all starts with people. You know that. Did you have a, a marketing arm that you were working with along the way as well? Or was this pretty much just headhunting? No. Yeah. No marketing. I mean, we had, we had a marketing guy, but he, he wasn't really, we had no lead gen. We didn't have any paid ads. We had nothing, you know, it was like, he would help us with like, you know, PowerPoint and he put our website together and oh. he's a great guy, but we didn't have like a classical lead gen function, you know? Sure. So when you're, when you're going after these big accounts, did you already have the structure in place behind you to, to tackle these types of opportunities? Or was that something that you had to kind of work out as well? Like, can I, can I sell this this way? Are we going to be able to deliver on this? Yeah, well, we definitely had to grow along the way, right? I, I would so, say. <laughs> <laughs> we had to grow. I mean, there wasn't like massive infrastructure and process uh, at all. And so, yeah, we, so what would happen is like, and I'll give you an example. Let's say, you know, our, our primary biggest customers were, I don't know, most of them were on, on the mid market side. Okay. And it, that might be like spending two to 5,000 a month. Okay. So it started off as like, all right, let's get $10,000 a month opportunities. Let's get, then it went to 20,000. Then it went to, you know, 70,000. Then it went to a hundred, hundred. And then it, it continued to scale up. And the awesome thing is like, if you really, really listen to your customer's feedback on how you need to scale with them, that can create new solution offerings, but also create new points of differentiation when you go to the next big opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did. We constantly iterated and did that. 
how did you maintain that that feedback loop? Were you, were you personally speaking to the current customers, or was it by proxy? No, it was yeah. So I I mean it would be myself as like you know the, the one of the executive um, sales leads there. It would be my team. But then what we also started to do is build like a customer success, customer relationship management layer where um, there's a separate team that did that, but them and the sales team worked really tightly. And throughout that process, you would get feedback on, you know, what's working right, what's working wrong. And the, the thing that um, I'm really passionate about now, especially for businesses that are like a million to 30 million, like we were talking about, is they do such a great job, a lot of them of getting customers and getting started. But like, I literally sat with, I don't know, I've sat, I've talked probably like two or three in the last week and they might be a $5 million company and they don't have an upsell, cross sell and expansion system in place for their current customers. And when I say that, I don't mean like, Hey, your customers send them an email. I mean like the human touch element where you talk to people really have them rate you like in person, like on a scale of one to five. And then like, truly understand and then manufacture new opportunities based on discovery um, when you're reviewing like how well you're doing with them. So that's what I've been working on. And, and it's crazy, man. You look at like a $5 million company, they can make a $2 million jump in a year without adding any headcount, without adding any um, outside investment and without any risk. Cause all they're doing is they're basically getting new, new opportunities from their existing customers where the sales cycle is maybe 30% of the time and the deal size is like just as big as a net new deal. So. Yeah. 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 What, I mean, I think it's funny because I know a lot of companies that might do customer surveys or things of that nature and they, they struggle to get responses or the responses come in and they're either absolutely perfect or absolutely terrible. And you know, that, I think there's something to be said about the human element of speaking to someone face to face and saying, Hey, what's working for you? What's not, what can we do better? But when, when it's done digitally, I, I feel like unless you give some incentive and even that you give someone an incentive to fill out a survey about you, maybe you give them a $50 gift card, something like that. Well, the, you know, the people who do that are either they really like you, they really want the gift card or they, they really hate you. Or the, I mean, I think most of the time they just really want the gift card. Truthfully, I've filled out quite <laughs> close for the gift card. But what what are your thoughts on something like that? Yeah, I mean, the digital aspect is hard, and you know, people then bring in the factor of like scaling. And what I would say is like, it, and it all depends on your average deal size, like what you're selling specifically. But like, for example, I was working with a, a SaaS company. I was working with the founder of it. They, their average deal size maybe like thirty k, thirty thousand. So it's not like you know, ridiculously big enterprise, but it's not like a hundred dollar a month license either. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, if you really look at it a lot of times and these companies, the thing is like, they might have a 96% retention rate, which is great. Right. They're like, oh, our customers are happy. And it's like, well, how much are you talking to them? And so like, even if you just focus on the top 10% of your customers, like you could literally hire an employee that might be cost 55, $60,000 and have them provide like data with value to the customers, ask to be rated, and then can literally cross sell or upsell them there or get referrals for your sales team. So like, it's like really low and then that yields millions of dollars in revenue. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I, I, I think is optimal because 
when you're asking for referrals, if you don't do it the right way, you don't get them. How you know? do you do that? What, what would you recommend when asking for a referral? Yeah, so um, a real simple way, I've talked about this on my podcast, like sales and marketing, built freedom, I got that. So um, basically one of the things that, that I highlight on there is real simple. Like the good thing is like everybody's connected now, you know, via the internet. A lot of people leverage LinkedIn. A simple way to do it is if you got your best customers, whether you're a rep or an entrepreneur or a business owner, look at your top five customers, right? Look at their connections, leverage your perfect customer profile to identify 10 of them that you would want to meet. Next time you talk to them and say, hey, I got this list of 10 people. Well, first of all, I would start with, hey, is there, are you happy? You know, make sure they're happy first, right? Once they're like, yeah, you guys are great. You guys are crushing it. You're five out of five. It's like, awesome, man. Well, hey, you know, um, is there anybody that you know specifically personally that I could serve just like you, right? And what you'll get is, that's, that's interesting. Sometimes you'll get like, oh yeah, this one, this one, this one. Sometimes it's like, I can't really think of anybody off the top of my head. That's usually like the standard, right? Hmm. And that's when you get your list out, right? Of 10 people. You're like, well, you know, I was checking your connections on LinkedIn and I know you're, you're connected to these 10 people. Um, how many of these people do you know? Like, well, I only know about five of those out of the 10. You're like, okay, cool. Well, would you be okay if I sent them like a direct message and copied you or an email and copied you just saying, you've had a great experience with me. Um, you know, I'd like the opportunity to meet with you to tell you how I, I serve John. And nine times out of 10, nine and a half times out of 10, you know, if they're happy, they'll say yes, right? And then you'll get three net new meetings typically out of those five opportunities. And those are warm, like hot, you know, like warm in a lot of cases, so. Oh, I like that, I like that a lot. I, I see, I've always approached it from the mindset that I, I know you gotta go on time pretty soon here, but I've always approached it from the mindset of having them make the introduction. And I think there's value to that for sure. But I think it can also, you know, you're putting more on them, maybe yep. incentivizing them in some way to do that for you. Whereas your, your way, it's you're putting all the work on your shoulders. They just kind of have to be there. Maybe they reply to the email, something of that sort to give you a little boost. Yeah. Well, and in summarize that, like I use the same stereo with the enterprise sales summit that I did. So I ended up getting like 1500 people to attend and like, you know, do you know Scott Lee at all? No, I don't. Should yeah, I? No, he's a, he's a great guy. Yeah. I mean, so he's, he's big in the sales community. And anyways, he always does text posts, right? He never does video. But when I did recordings for my summit, we repackaged three of those into resharable content on social. And I basically made it so easy for them to promote it. He's like, I've never done video on LinkedIn before, but Ryan makes it so freaking easy for me to do it. So if you just eliminate that friction with your customers, it makes it so much easier to say yes. And that'll lead to so many more yeses and more additional customers for you. And that's a virtuous cycle, so. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Ryan. I really appreciate it. If you want people to get in touch with you, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, I'm building on my website right now. Um, so you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can direct message me there, especially if you're looking at, you know, for advisory consulting services. Um, and then at the same time, Ryan at whalesellingsystem.com you connect there as well. All right, perfect. Thank you so much for your time. I'd love to do this again. I think you were a great cast. I love hearing about oh, yeah, I'm a marketing guy, but I love, <laughs> I love digging in, you know, marketing and sales are. Yeah, no, the same way. I love marketing too. Like it's marketing now. Everything is sales and marketing. You can't, you can't separate them. They're attached to the hip now. So. Gotta be aligned. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you everybody for, for listening. And now uh, we'll talk to you later.